0: This is Women Authors of Achievement Podcast, Episode 7, with guest Sigrid dalberg krajevsky Sigrid has worked in a handful of Swedish embassies across the world, later starting her communications career at Trivago and leading public relations at companies like Zalando and Truffy. Today she's a Senior Director of Communications, Diversity and Inclusion at Delivery Hero, the world's biggest food ordering service that has even bigger plans ahead. In this episode, you will learn how to position a company as a market leader, handle communications in times of crisis, and become friends with German media. Here we go. Get ready to hear it all from Sigrid Dahlberg-Karjewski, and make sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Hello Sigrid, thank you for coming to the studio. I must admit, I'm a bit nervous as I get to interview a former journalist and communication expert.
1: No need to be, but thank (laughs) you so much for having me here. It's a pleasure to join you in the studio today. Before we
0: speak about your work with Delivery Hero, I'm curious to understand the path that led you to where you are today. And first of all, to understand how, from a former fashion journalist, You transition into governmental affairs, working for a number of embassies.
1: Well, that's a big question. So when I was in my teenage years, I started to realize the power of the Internet, as many other teenagers did. And when I was in my late high school years, there was a new thing called a blog. And I thought that sounded really exciting transitioning your personal diary into something that your friends, family, etc., could read. So I started doing that with a focus on fashion, clothes, and vintage. And almost from one day to another, it got a lot of readers, and it opened the doors for me to start doing fashion journalism already when I was in high school. So I did that for a couple of years and enjoyed it very much. But when it was time for my university studies, I realized that my actual passion was somewhere else. It was not in fashion and writing about myself all the time, which a blog is actually about, quite self-centered from time to time, but that it was within political science. So I studied poli-sci in Gothenburg, Sweden, and my first internship was at the Swedish Embassy in Budapest. And when the internship was over, I was offered a position there. And that's how the years with the Ministry of Foreign Affairs started.
0: As you later ventured into the startup world, how different for you to lead public relations for a government versus a tech company? Is there a different level of responsibility?
1: For smaller tech companies? Yes, but I think the difference is more in terms of the speed and what you are bound to say, and how much you can push those boundaries. So when you work for a for an embassy, you're literally representing your country. So the things that you say, the things that you can do, there's a number of aspects that you need to take into consideration. There is protocol, there is quite a long line of approval lines. However, when you work for a small startup, you can be Super creative, you can be extremely fast, you can pitch something to the CEO that you might have in the room next to yours and just go for it. And if you fail, it's not such a biggie because memory in the tech scene might not be the longest, and you can try at it again. And you can always account for it was a pivoting phase, we're trying, learning by doing. But when you work for a country, you don't have that same luxury. You don't have the benefit of, the, of a doubt, you have to be m- much more conscious of the environment around you. And I would say, now working for a ducks listed company, that you land somewhere in between.
0: I would like to understand the level of responsibility in what can go wrong in corporate communications if they're not taken seriously. Maybe you heard of some failure examples that you could share as an example when communications are taken for granted.
1: Well, I don't even know where to start because this is uh, such a brilliant topic. When you work within corporate communications, there's lots of different mistakes that you can do yourself. And to your other question, what a company can do who might not be as mature as some of the ones that I've had the fortunate luck to be working with is to not take corporate communication seriously. And if we go to the first point of mistakes and failures that you can step into every single day something very simple is numbers getting the numbers right understanding where they're coming from how you report on them to be able to keep that level of consistency and always 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 double check the sources that might not be as important for a smaller tech company but when you're a publicly listed corporation that is something you need to be really really considerate about because a lot of people look at those numbers so they need to be coherent. Then I would say another mistake with corporate communications that is easy to fall into if you do work for a larger corporation is to lose the sight of creativity and inspiration. So what actually makes your audience tick, not only what you need to inform the public about, but what is engaging and what is something that brings people together, starts a conversation, initiates a dialogue, leads to interactivity not just a push and pull of info spreading. And related to that is an element of internal communications to make sure that as a full corporate comms team, you don't only make sure that the external audiences are triggered to read more or interested in what you're pushing out, but that you make sure to inform your employees because you don't want to come into a situation where they receive news through the media rather than through your own channels and as we speak of that I'm curious to
0: understand what successful corporate communications and brand marketing look today you already
1: said that people expect engagement what else people expect these days That you're authentic that you stick with your messages that you don't turn from one day to another that you're relevant so what you bring out is something that has a context that is accurate That is to sure that is something people already are starting to look into, or if they're not, that you bring a vision, not only about what you're doing now, but how do we want to move in the future? How do we want to consume in the future? How do we want to see the world coming with a perspective, which is not only short or mid-term, but actually long-term? I think that's an amazing opportunity that a lot of companies could develop further and then there's a huge bucket which is trust and the trust aspect is not something that comes from one day to another or from even one year to another it's something that you need to build not only with external stakeholders whether it's politicians media institutions ngos investors analysts but also with your teams with your employees with your people and Ultimately, we're pivoting into a, a corporate culture where your employees start to become your best and biggest, brightest ambassadors. So not bringing them onto the journey is a missed opportunity, but it could also be dangerous. So you need your people to be with you for what you're communicating, because if they're not, they might give a different view to, to their friends, to social media channels Etc. It's so connected today that that level of consistency and inclusion, I think inclusion is a key word for me here, is essential. And as also
0: you mentioned that building trust, it takes years, but losing credibility
1: can take seconds. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's where this fingertip feeling needs to come in and the Sort of protectiveness of the messages that you do push out, the campaigns that you craft. because if you lose that trust, and as you said, it can take a second, you have so much work ahead of you to start rebuilding it. And I believe again, that's where an element of repetition comes in. And I think a lot of communications professionals today might be afraid of repetition because, You work with something every day, you see that every day, but the time span that people actually spend on the messages that you bring out to the world is very short. So that repetition might not come across as a nuisance to them or where it might be to you, but rather as a level of consistency.
0: You worked in those amazing companies and just to name, and it was startup scale-ups, bigger companies, just to name a few, Trivago, Zalando and Traffy, and I think every time you worked there, they were really on the radar, they had amazing visibility and the communications were really top-notch, <laughs> so kudos <laughs> to you. How do you position a company as a market leader and outline public affairs strategy for the companies you work with?
1: The first step is to understand the business. So where is the business at? Where do we want to move? And how can the communications and public affairs efforts support that? And based on a level of organizational and business acumen, you can then start to map out what are various topics, themes, people that can personalize the story and still foster and further our agenda within those pillars. And for each company, that's unique. And it depends on where you are in your timeline as either a startup, a scale-up, a grown-up or a huge corporation. You sort of need to figure out as someone leading comms and public affairs PA, where are we now? Where do we want to go? And how can we support the company in making that journey? So... Identifying both opportunities, but also risks, challenges, and where we sort of fit the communications MPA in, because there's always a million things you can do. So, what do you prioritize? And what I usually set is four key themes for a full year that I would like to penetrate, mm-hmm. and where it's either an opportunity for the company to showcase a strength where we're doing something freaking amazing. Or an area where we need to build, um, because it's going to come to us sooner or later and we need to be prepared. So it's a mix of where are we excelling and how do we portray that in the best way possible? And where are areas that we might need to do a bit more of groundwork? And how do we make sure that we don't stagger behind, but rather that we have a foundation that we can stand on and that is solid and stable, and then go from there? And how do you establish
0: fruitful relationship with industry influencers, media, and how
1: important is that? Extremely important. It's sometimes all about relationships. And I believe in keeping consistent contact, even if it's not something that might be benefiting to you, but you know that you can give certain tips for other contacts that might be relevant for Your stakeholders in their work. And that could be everything from recommending a spokesperson at another company, because you know that they would be totally a match for a theme that that journalist is covering, to connecting political stakeholders with other experts in the field that you have in your contact network. And then when you do come with something, come with something that's relevant, not only for you, but for them, so that whenever you interact It's not a give and take, but a collaboration. That's how I look at it. And I also understand that sometimes
0: the internal resources are not enough and there are situations where you involve PR agencies and external experts. What are those occasions and why would a company reach out for external help when it comes to corporate
1: communications? It's again coming back to the need, the need of the company. There are certain moments in time when you do communications where you might step into a field that you don't have enough internal power to do or internal knowledge to do well. And rather than relying on taking that time to build, in parallel, bringing in help externally can be really, really valuable, not just to empower eventually your internal employees to be able to do that work themselves, but also to bring in another level of experience that you might lack in that specific field so that could be everything from if you land in a crisis situation that you've never navigated before or you end up have having to do extremely complicated financial communications with dependencies that you've never um, that you've never explored before in your professional career so it's really for me at least not about a full-scope agency support. That's not something I've rarely had to rely on, but rather targeted issues or opportunities where you need dedicated help. And it could also be about just a lack of time. So not only in a crisis situation or a very complicated communications matter, but if you're developing a new campaign which might tap into a thematic that you've not dealt with before and you want to position the company as a front runner because the work that is done is great, but the story is not there yet. Then there's also an opportunity where you might want to take in external help, but really when it comes down to it, for me personally, it's always been about these niche areas where the generalist that you might have in your team, or even the specialists that you might have do not have the level of knowledge that is needed. Do you have any specific examples in your career when you involved external help? Absolutely. It can be about when you, for example, at Salando, we were opening warehouses in lots of different places all over Europe. And when you open up a new warehouse, it's not only a communications opportunity, but it's also a new job opportunity for a lot of the locals who are based there. So besides communications, you need to involve uh, talent, you need to involve public affairs because you want the mayor to be there. Wow, you want mayor to be there as well. You want the mayor to be there to inaugurate (laughs) the warehouse. You want the local political scene to be in favor of this warehouse. And as someone who is then potentially sitting in Berlin, whereas we're opening up a warehouse in Italy, you might not have the know-how of how the political structure looks like in that particular town. So what you need to bring in is an expert who is from Italy, who might even be based there or, or who has ties to the media, the local politicians, who might even have a direct entry to the mayor to make that come together. So where you can, as a corporation, prepare the key messages and make sure that the general positioning of the group or of the company stays intact that's something that you can provide immediately but when it comes to the local professionalism ability to navigate local situations that's the place where we usually relied on um, local agencies
0: I'm very curious to know because you worked in so many different countries What do you think of German media and how different it is to, let's say, US or UK and also Sweden, where you originally come from? Is there a different voice
1: in all those medias? Yes,
0: yes, (laughs) definitely. I want to know.
1: (laughs) It's, uh, It's almost every national media scene has its different voice, has its different peculiarities. What makes them tick? What triggers them? What makes them turn away from you? What makes them turn to you? And... If we compare the German media scene to, for example, a more English-speaking one like the US or the UK or more the global sort of English-speaking scene, of course the German one is very focused on Germany. That's not such a big surprise. But what the Germans are really good at doing is questioning what you do, why you do it and how you do it. I think that German journalists are extremely well-educated well positioned in their professions and they take it very seriously. It's a high level of integrity. It's a high level of fact checking. Not always, but usually. And when you speak to German journalists, you sometimes have to be a bit more thorough. Thorough with your numbers, thorough with your details because they ask really deep questions. It's not shallow. It is something which is filled with a quest to understand and a quest to inform. So perhaps not as focused on big headlines or at least in the in the genre where where I'm at on tabloid press but rather serious well-grounded journalism and that can sometimes lead to more critical journalism and that is something that as a german based company we have to understand something that we have to to meet in terms of the different need that that creates from for example a global tech media that might have a completely different agenda. And then if we would
0: compare it to Sweden, because I'm not so familiar with the Swedish tech scene and also media scene, how does it differ from German?
1: Well, first of all, it's much smaller. <laughs> Sweden has a population of 10 million people, and I think Germany is soon at 85 billion. So the amount of publications that we have is much more limited, which also means that the scene is smaller and more personal, perhaps. So whereas in Germany, you might need to invest more time in building personal relationships, because there's just more relationships to be formed, in Sweden, that goes a little bit quicker. But one similarity is this seriousness of journalism and how well regarded some journalists are as not only writers but as opinion makers and as influencers in the scene. So it's not only seen as a nine-to-five job where you step into writing or where you step into copywriting, editorial, news creation. It's really I think a scene where journalists are so well respected that it's not only about what what they report about, but how they report about it. And again, there, the personal relationships come in handy, but they never, never, never interfere with the integrity of a journalist. So even though you might have a very friendly relationship to some of your core contacts, that doesn't mean that they cannot write a critical article about you. And I think that puts both people who work in communications and all types of PR vis-a-vis their journalistic core, into a very respectful and balanced relationship. And that's something I very much appreciate.
0: Captivating world of journalism and media relations. So interesting. I'm sure everybody knows Delivery Hero, but Sigrid, could you tell more about the company and your work there? Because you joined, I believe, last year. How has this journey has been going? You also joined at the very, I mean, exciting times for Delivery Hero.
1: I joined Delivery Hero in February last year, which was approximately a month before the global pandemic was declared. And uh, I can say that my onboarding phase was quite hectic and very exciting, of course. So Delivery Hero is the world's leading local delivery platform. We have operations in more than 40 countries across the entire world. And we deliver amazing experiences to people wherever they are. And that could be food, but we're also venturing into other things like electronics, flowers, apparel, cosmetics, medical supply, which really broadens our possibility to deliver those amazing experiences. I think that Delivery Hero is primarily seen as an aggregator of restaurants. And that is how it started. But what we've moved into now is being on a mission to deliver anything locally. So in the future, hopefully, whatever you want, which can be sourced by a nearby local shop or by one of our DMarts, which is local warehouses, where we have a selected amount of products, can be shipped to you in a matter of tops 20 minutes and this is where we're going and where we are now is we're getting there it's moving faster and faster we already have 400 of these local warehouses across the globe and we're expanding every single day and what it means for our communications team is is growing our capabilities so when I joined delivery hero we were five people in the communications team now The department that I'm heading has developed into also include political communications, diversity and inclusion, and we're soon 20 people. So it's been quite a fast moving year and it's been all about leveling up on the foundations that were already put into place by our fantastic team, but also about pivoting to a stronger focus on coherent campaigns, relevant themes. Tying closer ties to the business, bridging the gap between the company and our external stakeholders, whether it's the media or the political sphere, and doing that with energy, doing it with relevance, doing it with this level of thoroughness again, and I think a certain amount of proactivity. Delivery Hero has been a company that others have taken a lot of interest in for the last couple of years. But what we perhaps did not always do was proactively steer or try to steer the messages around the company. And that is something we're trying to change. I think another aspect is building a team where you have structures that are sustainable, building a team where people love to come to work, maybe not every day, but the majority of the days, and where we have a joint purpose, moving together and positioning different topics like corporate communications where we do everything from internal communications to external focusing on innovation focusing on growth focusing on csr sustainability dni tech and product and also bringing in a political element to it as well as setting up a dni function all under the same roof might not by everyone seem as the most traditional way of doing things it sounds a lot (laughs) it is it is a lot and it's also a lot of fun but how we see it is how can we build a house of impact and these themes are all about impact so bringing them together bringing them into one house for me it's about multiplying our efforts and making sure that whatever we do however we do it can lead to a positive change or benefit to the societies that we operate in. And that transcends from a economical impact to a political one, to a societal one, to a peer-to-peer impact. And if we can move all of these work streams together in that direction, we're sort of going beyond corporate communications, we're going beyond diversity and inclusion, we're going beyond... The political element, and we're moving into something which is a state, a state of continuously lived purpose. And that is what I want to get to for our entire team. This is very
0: inspirational. And Sigrid, but if we speak about it as a house, but, and if I ask you to just a bit specify what really excites you to build in that house?
1: I think first it's the people. Because our team is amazing and we're hiring, by the way, so if you want to join, <laughs> let me know. And what we are able to do every single day together, even in remote working during a global pandemic, being a part is just extraordinary. So what really brings me out of bed is the people and knowing that I will get to spend time with extremely talented human beings as my job is a luxury. Now moving into projects, I personally have an affinity for strategy that is one of the areas of our work that makes me tick. I believe that when we anchor a strategy for not only the entire team, but for the sub-teams that we do have, and bring that together with our purpose, bring that together with our mission, our daily operations, something that can sound so dry as OKRs, we can make everyone move together. And that movement with the people is what really thrills me. Now, on a project-based side, it could be everything from taking a really, really tricky topic, understanding how we can position the company within it, and start to trial out an MVP. We do have MVPs in communications too, so where do we begin? That kickoff phase is also something that really makes my motivation levels go up and when I feel like we're entering territory that might be a bit new or uh, unexplored and try to figure out where we land and how we land in the best possible way and to give you some practical examples that could be we're launching our first ever international women's day summit this year called women connect we've never done anything like that before and we're bringing in spokespeople from all over the world, both from within our group, but externally as well, and tying that together into a three-day inspirational event filled with exchange, interaction, impulse talks, panels, and making sure that, again, it's relevant not only for our people, but also for some of the external channels that we're bringing in is such a complex, actually, topic, such a multidimensional project, that is exciting. And other things could be, how do we make sure that Delivery Hero has a voice in some of the legislative debates that are happening currently, where the outcome might affect our business? It could also be, how do we elevate our communications around product and technology, because we haven't communicated around that for a very long time? And how do we make those very detailed and sometimes very comprehensive topics into communications campaigns that are digestible and understandable for a broader public, not just for the techies that we work with and that we want to attract, but to people in general, to the public sphere and let them in on this is how it works. Yeah, this is
0: something I also want to understand better is that how do you usually prepare for big announcements and bigger projects? What teams you usually involve? And what kind of timeline you have in mind when you prepare for those announcements, just
1: to see the workflow a little bit? That's so different. It could literally be from months to something dropping, into my inbox in the beginning of the week that then has to be communicated the next day or Wednesday. So Even for big announcements? Even for big announcements. Because sometimes those big announcements take a while and then at the very, very last mile, it goes very, very fast. But I think we're getting better at having more time to prepare, having more time to plan. And what we usually do is look at what are the internal stakeholders within our team that needs to work on a project or needs to work on an announcement. And what are the subject matter experts within the business that we need to involve? And then another element is who do we need to keep informed, keep in the loop? And who do we need approval from? So we always have a stakeholder mapping where it becomes very, very clear what the deliverables are, to whom, when, how, uh, and with what, we always have a kickoff meeting to try to understand what do we want to achieve with this? Why are we doing it? What can we do from a communications end? What can we not do from a communications end? Because that's also important to make clear. And what's the timeline? So it's really, it's I think it's proper project management. It's about finding the purpose, finding the why, identifying the what, what is the scope, and then how we do it. So our mission. That's the flow we usually take. And how do you
0: usually prepare for criticism or the critics, and sometimes even for provocative questions? Because I'm curious, do you ignore them or should one ignore them or should they face criticism or an an
1: To the largest extent possible, I would always say you should at least comment on criticism. Sometimes it's about counteracting, Because some criticism might not be correct, but also not be well-founded. And then you have to explain. You have to explain what the company position is, and why something might be incorrect, and how it really looks like. But some criticism can be criticism of opinion. And that is sometimes a bit harder to face, because everyone is entitled to their opinion. So what you can do there is rather to educate it's not always about explaining, but about educating on where you stand and what your opinion is based on that. Then there is some criticism which is sometimes completely unfounded or based on rumors, and rumors is something that you should not comment on because that is just fueling the fire and you can put yourself in a very strange position. It's different if you need to clarify something. If there is a rumor that is so out of line that it can damage the reputation of the company, then again, you have an educational or an explanational responsibility. But if a journalist asks a question about something which is completely out of the blue and it has no actual relevance, then we would either just say, hey, there are some things in your question which is not relevant for us at all at the moment and we can't comment on that because It sounds like a rumor. But there's another part of your question that we would like to explain a bit further. And that is not only something that is important externally. It's also something which is hugely important internally. How do we keep a trustworthy, transparent amount of communications that's frequent, that is continuous, also to our employees? Because sometimes these rumors do not only start In external stakeholders but also in people who work here who might not have the same type of visibility that you do to certain topics so what we always always try to do with our internal communications is be timely with the comms be transparent do it with purpose and pride have a level of exchange and engagement to build that trust that's very, very important. But coming back to your question on criticism, you will face it. So what we do in, for almost all the themes that we position, I would say actually all of them, we prepare FAQs on how this is structured, what this project entails, so that we are prepared to do that amount of education or explanation whenever it is needed. Journalists are clever. Politicians are well-read. So there will always, always be some instance where someone finds a blind spot that you might not have prepared for. And then you have to gather your troops internally and find out what is the source of this question. What can we comment on? What can we not comment on? Where do we stand on this topic? Sometimes people bring up questions or new areas that you have never touched upon publicly as a company And then you have to figure out, do we want to? Maybe this is an opportunity actually, or do we not? And if so, how do we make sure that our stakeholders still get information that they need without harming the company perception or reputation per se? Secret before we
0: finish up our wonderful, insightful conversation today, which was just really a learning journey together with you about the media, about journalism, about corporate communications, and how to handle the situations of crisis and also growth. I would like to know, what are your personal plans this year?
1: Well, I'm trying to get married. (laughs) That's a good (laughs) start. But it's not going so well. We already postponed it from last year. And this year, it's sort of it sort of has to happen. So on a personal level, that's um, that's a core plan, I would say.
0: And the question that I like to ask all my guests, and I think this is a very important question because of possibility to bring visibility to another woman, or a few, if you have in mind, who is your woman who is an author of her own achievements?
1: Well, I think that the most timely example is Whitney Wolfhard, the CEO of Bumble, who just had an amazing IPO at 31 with a baby on her hip. The amount of change that she has brought not only to the dating culture, finding love, but also to the way that we we see female leadership, the way that we see founders, the way that we see leadership teams has just been extraordinary. And crowning that with an IPO what a lifetime achievement and how she uses her platform to focus on causes that matter, moving the needle, again having this impact. I think there are few women of her age who has been able to do so with such integrity in an incredibly public position, also having faced lots of criticism But turning almost every single challenge into an opportunity and doing something good, that's a true, true role model. And doing it in a yellow suit. Hello, how kick ass.
0: (laughs) Sigrid, again, thank you for coming over. It was a wonderful, wonderful conversation. uh, So many insights. And I wish you a beautiful day today.
1: Thank you so much. And for both you and I to finally enjoy the Berlin Sun. Oh, yes. (laughs) Looking forward to it. Thank you so much for having me, Dariot. It was a pleasure. Thank you for joining us today. You can subscribe to
0: the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please don't forget to leave us a review. We're always excited to read them. If you want to interact with us, the guests, or the podcast listeners, then head over to our Instagram page at waa.berlin. And while you're there, make sure to check our webshop. Thank you again for listening, and we're looking forward to being back soon.